Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth. I'm a marathoner, coach, and answer seeker. When I first started running at the age of 29, I had so many questions and what felt like nowhere to turn to for answers. And now I'm here to answer all your running questions about anything that you might want to know. If you're a new runner or you've been doing this for a long time, there's always something more to learn about running. So let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 10 of this season of the Running Explained podcast. I am Elizabeth and my guest this week is running coach Sarah Manderscheid of the Boulder-based Elevate Your Running Coaching. And today Sarah and I are discussing racing and the lessons that we learn from racing and how to use those lessons to get better at racing and troubleshooting some common issues that you might run into when you're racing, such as why did I slow down at the end when I was trying to speed up? Why didn't my legs turn over? Um, Why did I crash and burn? (laughs) Right. Uh, And we're talking about so all of those different things, including, you know, adjusting your race for conditions and making sure that you are understanding the most effective way to race the race that you are trying to accomplish. So here we go. Sarah, welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me back. It's good to be here. So for those of us, uh, not me, those of my listeners or viewers who are unfamiliar with who you are, go ahead and reintroduce yourself and tell us how you became a runner and a coach. Yeah. um, My name is Sarah Manderscheid. I am a running coach in Boulder, Colorado. My company or coaching company is Elevate Your Running. And I started running after college. I was about 24 years old. I started a eight to five job and I was one of those, still am, one of those people that like can't sit still. So I really needed to do something with my time after work to really fill my cup and movement was one of those things. So I started running um, about 16 years ago and It's been an incredible journey. I have gone through um, some incredible PRs. I took a considerable amount of time off, and then I got back into running in in 2017 and started the Elevate Your Running brand and coaching company in uh, the midst of the pandemic, summer of 2020. Why not, right? And I uh, was in financial services marketing leading up to that, so it was kind of this shift in my life of wanting to help others and really lean into my love for running and helping others find that love of running. So um, it's been an incredible almost three years, and, um, and here we are today. So exciting. I know. I feel like there are a lot of, and my my own business included was a pandemic biz, baby, business baby. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, And it's fun. It's fun to see us. Um, So today we are going to pick your brain and have a good discussion about racing, how to get better at racing. And I will preface this by saying that we understand that not every runner wants to race and not every runner who participates in races has a goal of racing that race as fast as possible. Um, So that That is not to say that if you race, you have to try to run it as fast as possible, but our conversation today is going to be pivoted and pointed towards those runners who are looking to truly maximize how fast they can cover a given distance in a race environment. Um, what What are your thoughts about racing as a part of running? It's such a great tool for the running tool belt, if you will. There's so many great lessons that can be learned 
not just in workouts and long runs and training, but gosh, on race day. I'm a big believer that how we show up in training is how we show up on race day. And there's so many great things that we get to learn and fine tune and really develop with ourselves as runners and as athletes and ultimately as humans in the racing environment. So something I say often is that racing is a skill. Racing is a skill that we need to develop. Um, would you agree with that? Definitely. I feel like, and know that like running is just like any other sport, right? Or hobby. So there's going to be some athletes who have like this natural, um, natural skill set to race. They're going to just naturally know a little bit more or have that intuitive piece to them. Um, but it's also just like, I feel like how running easy is a skill or painting or shooting free throws, right? And it all comes down to training and practicing. And you get to do that in your workouts and your long runs. And then of course on race day, but learning how to race smart and strong is a skill that can definitely be trainable. So that's the good news. And I would say it's also going to be something that we all get to do. Um, it can be improved eventually over time and everyone's going to have a different kind of L shaped curve on how that looks and how long it takes. And each racing distance is going to be different too. The 5K is going to be a totally different strategy than the marathon or an ultra marathon or the 10K or the mile, right? Like all these distances are different. So each racing, you get to kind of fine tune in a different way. Um, but what I love about it is like everyone shows up differently to racing and that's and running. And that's one of the best things about the running community and about running is that we're all so different and everyone is like a different puzzle that we get to figure out like how the pieces come together to set them up for success. Um, so I think it's really important to know as an athlete, what works and what doesn't work for you. And, you know, being strategic on the things that don't necessarily work or you think back on and think, I could have done that a little bit better, or that didn't feel good, or that didn't work out. Those are all signs that those are things that you need to work on or that you get to work on. Um, it could be outside feedback from a coach too, who has kind of that like 10,000 foot view over you and your training and your racing to see what's working and what's not working. And a lot of times having that conversation together is a beautiful place to be because then you're both coming to the table with things that you want to work on and then you can apply them in the next training cycle. So that's a really cool piece too. Um, but it's really important to know that each, you know, race distance and course is going to be a lot different. So really just honing in on, you know, racing is a skill and having your eyes set on the prize of what you're looking to do in this training cycle. So then I think it's really important to remember is that, like we said, racing is a skill that takes time to develop and that, that doesn't mean you should go out and run as many races as possible. And, uh, and I see this a lot with new runners and some people just really genuinely like to participate in races, but yeah. if you are racing every weekend or every other weekend, or, you know, that may not actually, although you may be participating in a bunch of races that may not actually be teaching you how to race at your best and like peak ability because you're racing too much. And this is a, a thing that I think a lot of, uh, I would say mostly newer runners, but there are, like I said, runners who just really, really enjoy racing struggle with that 
they can't just race all the time in order to get better at racing because races are supposed to be, um, let's say, the peak of the mountaintop, right? They're not something that mm-hmm. is something that's not an everyday thing. And I know I'm probably going to get some pushback on this. Hey, if you love to go out and race every weekend, go ahead and by all means do it. But if you're really looking to maximize what you can do in specific races and on specific big performance days, maybe racing less overall and very strategically would serve you better in that larger goal. Absolutely. I am very aligned on that as well, Elizabeth. I feel like there's a certain place in time and I think it all goes back to the athlete and what they're looking to create, right? Like you, if you're training for an A goal marathon in the spring or the fall, you get to work backwards from that and figure out what makes sense with your plan. Does a 5K fitness test about four weeks, five weeks out from race day make sense? Does a half marathon tune-up race make sense? It might look different for everyone, but I do know like as a coach, as an athlete, like I love to see a strategic plan. And for the athletes who love to race often, like that's going to be something that might just be a little different for them if they don't have something, you know, like an A goal race lined up and they have a season of racing and they're racing for fun. That's different. That's something totally different and they get to create fun and have a lot of fun with that. But if you are looking to have and have like an A goal race, like work backwards from that race, plan a few races. I think it's a great way. I like to call them tune up races, like a great way to kind of fine tune what works, what doesn't work for you. And it's not necessarily just the race, but it's also like the day before the race. And what are you doing to set yourself up for success? Arguably the whole race week, but the day before the race, like are you shaking out? Are you getting your strides done and getting in the proper nutrition and hydration and sleep and the big pickup and all the things, the coordination, especially if you're traveling to your race and then the race morning before the race and then executing the plan that either you or you and your coach have developed to set you up for success. Um, so I think there, there is a time and place for racing, but it has to make sense for the athlete and what they're looking to achieve in this season of their racing. How do you work with athletes who come to you with a very limited race background? Maybe they've never run a race before, like ever, and you're developing a race plan with them and we're talking about racing a new distance or gaining experience of racing. We want to make sure that we're running a smart and a strong race and that we're finishing strong. We're not necessarily focusing on pace or finish time. Tell me your thoughts on that and how you communicate that to your athletes. Yeah, that's a really fun place to be, I think, for athletes because there's so much upside to it if they follow the plan. But um, it gets to be a really great conversation of what they want to create. And if we're not talking about paces, uh, we can talk about effort. And we can talk about effort level. We can talk about progression running. We can talk about setting them up for success so they do finish strong and feel really good. And what does that look like? It's going to look different for everyone. It might mean not walking in a race, right? Or finishing the half marathon distance, feeling good. Um, So there's a lot of different ways that we can kind of set them up for success with that. But I really love leaning into the approach of having a few different strategies in place. That might be an A, B, or C strategy. It could be designed on effort. It could be designed on if it's a hilly route that we're tackling the hills really strong. 
Um, I've had athletes before go into races that they've raced before, but they were looking to create something new. So we really honed in on like the nutrition and the hydration piece to get that piece dialed in. So then they could take it from the 10K to the marathon later in the season, right? Um, so there's a lot of different ways that we can work with new athletes or athletes in a new space to set them up for success. But I love the approach of having a few different game plans on race day because ultimately you don't really know how your body's going to show up on race day. You can do everything right in training. You can prepare as much as you want to, whether you're a new runner or maybe you're an experienced runner and you just don't know how it's going to go. It's one day and you just don't know how that one day is going to go. So ultimately, like the biggest piece of all of it is you are not your results on race day. So you can have this amazing training cycle. You can do everything right. And if the results aren't there, or let's say you're not finishing strong, like know that that's just one day and that one day doesn't define you as an athlete or a human. So that's always first and foremost. And then kind of breaking down a few different pathways for the athlete to shift and pivot to on the course. But sometimes with new newer runners, hello, I'm still working on this too. It's like figuring out how to run through the water station successfully, right? Like how often do we like stress about that or like take a gel during like a like maybe it's a faster pace or it's in um, like running while taking a gel. I think those are kind of a few key pieces that we all need to learn, but those are kind of some really nice fundamentals for newer runners if they're looking to finish a race strong. Something I hear often that I, runners of all, and I, I, I think this too, you know, go through training and then think, how am I supposed to run that pace for that far on race day? Like in it, you know, tell how, tell me how, how will I know this? I hear a lot. How will I know I can run that pace or the pace I want to run on race day? Um, tell me what I can do to guarantee my results. And like you said, you know, you never know what your body's going to do on race day, but part of the racing experience is going out and exploring what you can do on that day. And I think that living in that place of uncertainty is really scary for a lot of runners because they they want to know, they want that guarantee. <laughs> they want to know, I think at the end of the day, that like it was quote unquote worth it, which is an entirely different discussion. It's always worth it. Um, but that like they want to know ahead of time. How do we talk them down from needing that guarantee and allowing them to just go forth and explore their limit on race day? Yeah, it's a really scary place to be. Absolutely. And I think when you're in that race week and you have those nerves and these feelings are coming up, of, how am I going to do this? And it could be in the 5K distance. It could be in the marathon distance. My advice is always looking back on your training. If you're working with a coach, chances are there's going to be these little Easter eggs, right, planted in your training that are going to give you the confidence to know that you can do it. The taper is a great time to rest, recover, let your body rebuild into beast mode, is what I like to call it, for race day and know that you are going to be so much stronger on race day than on any, hopefully, any training run in the training cycle. And I think a lot of times it's, you know, having the confidence to see or having the understanding of seeing 
the workouts that have gone well, knowing when you have overcome hard obstacles in training, and then setting the athlete up with a really great plan too. So um, having a plan that's within their means and not just giving a race plan that supports what they want to do on race day. I think that's really important, setting the expectations early as a coach. And if you're not using a coach, like having your own expectations of knowing what you're in shape for, and that kind of comes back with maybe a tune-up race or a fitness test, um, four to six weeks, maybe even eight weeks before your A-goal race. So ultimately, for an athlete going through this like race week and they're feeling all the nerves, um, it's a, you got this, you've put in the work, you've put in the consistency, here are the workouts and the long runs that have supported you, and you can absolutely do this. You have a race plan to support you. I love for the marathon distance, half marathon distance, like creating long runs in the plan to support how they're actually racing on race day. So it might be a lot of progression long runs. And I feel like that's going to ultimately set an athlete up for success too. If you can mimic race day a little bit in training, it gives them a little bit of sense of calm and peace going into race day, knowing that they've done it before. Cause you're never, the whole point of race day is to do something hopefully that you've never done before. Like that's the point, because if you, there's something, there's something yeah. we call called leave, leaving your race in training. We never want to leave our race in training. And what that essentially means is that, you know, racing over a distance, especially those longer distances is one of the most taxing things you can do to your body that then requires a significant amount of recovery. And if you go, and I'm going to use this as an example, if you go run a half marathon three weeks before your goal half marathon and you run that half marathon at goal pace, cool. You've just raced your race in training. <laughs> it's actually not beneficial to your yeah. training to do that. It's not beneficial for your race day to do that. But sometimes our athletes get so anxious about needing that guarantee that they go and do silly things that over overreach them that then leave, leave them feeling flat and under recovered on race day because the taper is not even enough recovery from that race effort, that quote unquote race effort in training. Um, it's interesting. I actually just developed an entire masterclass about goal setting for athletes who aren't working with a coach. And one of the things I talked about in the masterclass is essentially like you need to have a genuinely honest understanding of where your fitness currently is. Because so often when athletes are self-coaching, yeah. even athletes who are working with a coach, sometimes we want to, we want so badly to be able to run a certain pace on race day that we become obsessed with it and fixated by it. And so we try to, you know, when you're talking about including appropriate workouts and training and including some race pace or race effort in training, let's say, let's use your example of 909 marathon pace. They'll run 909 marathon pace in training, but if then you or I as a coach were to look at that, we would look at that and say, honey, that's threshold. Like that's not your marathon pace, right? Like that, I know you want to be able to be there right now, but like we're not. And so first and foremost, I think in order to have a really successful race day, you need to have a genuinely honest understanding of where your current fitness is. And we can get a little hopeful, right? That we'll have a really great day, but it still needs to be grounded in reality based on the training that we've done. Oh yeah, that's so true. We have to be, we have to be where we are. We have to meet ourselves where we're at. Our coach has to meet us where we're at too. And and it's okay to to dream big and have big goals. And maybe it's even a five minute bump in a marathon distance. Like you could probably train that, but if 
the data doesn't support that over the next few weeks or several weeks, it's okay to pull back, right? I had to do that for Chicago training, or I've had to do that for athletes before where it's like, okay, I know this is where you want to be. This is probably where you could be in a year, but right now we get to pull it back a little bit because ultimately racing strong and finishing strong is one of the best feelings. I don't know how, how many of us have run a race where we just feel like we've hit a wall and we just like stagger to the finish line. That is not a good place to be. I don't think any of us want to be there. So really understanding where you're at, meeting yourself where you're at, and really putting in the hard work during training will get you to where you are right now. And everything will come in time too. I think that's a big piece to all of this. Like we, we live in a world where we want these instant results. And with running, it takes years to get to where we want to go. It could take up to 10 years to hit your potential, to hit your peak peak racing fitness of running your dream marathon or running your dream half or racing the mile, whatever that looks like. It's going to look different for all of us. So we get to be really patient, give ourselves grace and know that with each training cycle, we really are making a huge deposit in the overall training bank for where we want to be when this is all like quote unquote over. Um, what do you think of when you think of the kind of keys to running a smart race? Because one of the things I tell my athletes is that, you know, if you run a smart race and you run a strong race, you'll probably run, you'll probably run a fast race, right? So if you can run a smart race and a strong race, you are more likely to get the result that you're looking for. And if, if you don't get the result you're looking for, at least you'll have run a strong and smart race that hopefully felt good the whole time or, you know, as good as racing can feel. Because let's be honest, racing can be very, very very hard sometimes. Um, but what do you, yeah. what do you think of the keys to racing? If you're looking to race smart and strong, I love progression racing. And I know some people are very against that, but I have been very successful with progression racing and maybe it's not an all out racing, but what it does do is it creates a strong outcome and it creates a lot of confidence with an athlete. And once you start stacking the confidence, it then is a domino effect. And it's much easier to get more out of the athlete in the workout. It's much easier to get more out of the athlete on race day. So what is progression racing? What do you mean when you say that? Oh, so progression racing is racing where you start out a little bit slower than maybe your goal pace for the race, and you work your way into it. And it can be in incremental miles, 5Ks, 10Ks, kind of depending on the race distance that you're racing. So often, athletes have these big goals, and they want to go out hot, and then they find that they can't hold it, and their body is just depleted at that point. But if you can progress into it and maybe start out a little bit slower, work your way up to goal pace, and then hopefully your training supports being able to run a little bit faster than goal pace at the end. Um, it's a really great way to race. It ensures that your heart rate stays a little bit lower early on. It, it supports that you have more gas in the tank towards the end of the race, and you're able to really take it easy or easier um, in the first half or the first 20 miles of the marathon, depending on what your plan supports, which is ultimately going to set you up for success. So having that confidence and understanding that when you're racing, it can be progression. 
Um, you know, the 5K distance is a little bit different because that distance, I feel like you really got to go out pretty hot and be able to sustain and hold, maybe inch up a little bit faster. Um, but that comes from really great training and having the confidence to know that you can hit that pace based on a few key workouts and um, maybe some like shorter long runs, depending on what your training cycle looks like. Um, so that confidence is huge and it's a huge piece to racing and racing smart, but you also want to control what you can during the race. And that looks like having the proper nutrition and understanding what your body needs and training your gut in training to take as much gels or as much nutrition as you possibly can during the race, because you are running faster. You're burning more calories. You're going to need more to be able to sustain a faster goal pace. Um, so that's a huge piece to it and the hydration piece as well and making sure that you're properly hydrated with the handheld and the electrolytes and practicing that all in training as well. I love taking a sip every mile. That's kind of like my gold star like recommendation and it really does help in those longer distance races and and you know making sure that the shoes and the outfit that you're also wearing are setting you up for success i've had races before where athletes have worn something new on race day and that's kind of like that's the overarching theme it's like you never really want to try anything new on race day because you don't know how it's going to go and it could really impact your race so knowing what's going to work for you in all of these key areas as well as the mind and having a strong mind and progression racing can really be a, all keys to strong racing i was actually thinking about this maybe it was on my run today, very recently, exactly about this, thinking about, you know, progressing and, and goal setting and starting slower than goal pace, um, which I think freaks a lot of people out because they think, so what does that mean? Like, how do I make up the time at the end? I'm like, well, ideally you'll run faster than goal pace. And they're like, wait, yeah. really? I'm like, yeah, ideally the very last mile of your race, whether it's a 5k or a marathon is going to be the fastest mile you've run all day. Um, because hopefully you will have conserved your energy appropriately and not blown yourself up. And so you can do that. Um, but I think there's up until very recently with the new world record that Elliot Kipchoge set at the marathon up until he did that, every other world record at these distance, right? I think from the 1500 on up was set with negative splits, which is what you're saying with progression running. The second half was run faster than the first half. They started slower and became faster as the race went on. And I, it takes a lot of trust and talking about that skill of racing to learn how to pace yourself early on in the race, especially a longer race. But even in a 5k, like you said, with a 5k, you pretty much have to go out hot. But if you go out too hot, that's a problem, right? So every like every distance has its own skill. But broadly speaking, most of the um, really great races that you're going to run, you're going to start a little bit slower and then you're going to get faster. Yeah, absolutely. And you could even apply it to your training on easy days. I have athletes do this. I do this. Like easy days start out considerably easy, right? Like that first mile or two is like the warm up. It's a jog and you could negative split your easy run, but still staying in the aerobic zone and staying in your zone one or two and staying easy for you that day. If it's recovery run, like staying in that pace zone that you need to stay in to be successful, um, to get the benefit of what that day holds for you. So it's a lot of fun. You can practice it a lot. And I like to also flip the script on it a little bit for athletes who maybe get in their head a little bit about 
maybe not wanting to do that, or that's not what the professionals do, even though we just talked about how that's what they do. Like, I like to look at it like a competition with yourself, right? Like how slow can I run today? Can I negative split this easy run? Like, because the more you practice that in training, the easier it's going to be on race day to start out just a little bit slower. You'll have more gas in the tank for the last mile. And that's always fun. Yes. There's nothing better than getting to the end of your race and being able to keep keep kicking it up a notch and keep switching gears and like you're just passing everybody else right left and center um yeah it's one of the best feelings that so I want to um say one more thing about the easy running negative splitting your easy runs because I've I've talked about this before and somebody messaged me and was confused they're like wait so you're telling me that all my easy runs should end faster like I should always try to increase my pace on easy runs no, that's that's kind of the backwards way of what Sarah is saying, um, that you are essentially starting your easy runs so slowly that you are warming up your engine mm-hmm. so efficiently, you can run a little bit faster while staying in your easy zone through the duration of your easy run. And that's also a sign of really strong aerobic fitness that you kind of get to this place and you know your 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 pace might be getting a little bit faster, but your heart rate and effort are staying the same. Like that is like that's really what we want to see as a sign of strong aerobic fitness. So this r- negative splitting your easy runs does not give you license to speed up on your easy runs willy-nilly. The whole point of an easy run is to stay in your easy effort zone, but ideally you will be able to pick up the pace just a tad as the run progresses while still being in that sub aerobic space. Yeah, it, we're talking about seconds here, but at the end of the day, it's still the the understanding and you know, it could be considered a gear change, right? Just by a few seconds of getting faster by a few seconds, a few seconds. And when you have that practice and you have that dialed then it just becomes a lot easier to execute on race day, but in a larger, um, just in a faster kind of way. And it's, it's these little things. It's like, I'm hearing you say, you know, the things you do in training, it really, it helps build that confidence that this thing that seems almost counterintuitive actually is the right thing to do. Right. Cause if I've seen it, if I've seen it work in training, like I'm the athlete and I'm like, well, I saw it work in on my easy runs and I saw it work in my tune up race and I saw this work in my workouts. You know, you are going to be so much more likely to do it correctly and hopefully see it work on race day. Yeah. And you only really have to see it work, work the right way on race day once. And in my experience, that's when the athletes hooked and they're like, Oh, this is how I can feel. And I can still like, produce something really strong, something I'm really proud of. And I have a lot of confidence from this. And now I'm going to start and just see like, how can I create this in my next training cycle? And can I create this again in the next marathon because, or the next race or whatever it is. And it does become this domino effect. And over time, the athlete becomes a lot stronger, a lot more, a lot, a lot more confident and just, you know, more in tune with their body and what they're capable of doing. I want to talk about bad races because we all have them. And for me personally, I like to put a spin on it, a little silver lining spin and say, you're going to learn way more from your bad races than you will from your good ones. Like you'll learn something from every race that you do, but your bad races will teach you a lot and maybe some lessons that are a little bit hard to swallow. But the only way that bad races in, in my opinion are going to be 
worth it is if you do learn those lessons. Because if you keep having bad race after bad race after bad race and you're not changing anything, like that's a problem. So if you have a bad race, use it as a learning opportunity. Um, it will teach you so, so much. Do you have any stories you want to share about bad races that you've had? I, I have stories about my bad races and what yes. I learned. <laughs> I have had a lot of bad races. Um, I feel like you have to, like if you've been running for however many years, like you have nothing like racing isn't always going to be perfect. Right. And I think, um, especially when you're getting into new territory or getting into new race distances, like, that is where I think a lot of like the really tough races can come from in the first few times because you're still trying to figure out the pace and how your body needs fuel and hydration and when to push, when to hold back, like all that, all those things, right? And I feel like in the last, gosh, my last, I'm running my fifth marathon in April with you, Elizabeth. It's going to be great. We won't be next to each other, but I'll finish hopefully not too far behind you. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And um, and leading into, gosh, my second and third marathon, those were really tough marathons. And, you know, it's one thing to kind of like, quote unquote, blow up in a 5K. Yes, it hurts, but you might have a mile left, right? Um, in a marathon, if you blow up, let's say at mile 10, like I did in the Boston Marathon of 2021, it is a long 16 miles to go. And that is a very tough place to be. And what I learned in that race is that I went out too fast. I had a goal that was not at my fitness level and I went out too fast and I leaned into this pace that I had no business running and my body let me hold that pace until mile 10. And then I had about a 30 second swing slower pace, you know, following and just kind of did what I could do to get to the finish line. But what I also learned is that it was also a warm and humid race day, or at least it was for me. And, um, and what I learned is that I get to take in more electrolytes when I'm racing long distances. And that was a huge game changer for me because I started to incorporate these lessons. It took me a little while. It took me until the fourth marathon to start really implementing these practices, but it did set me up for success with my fourth marathon. So it is a nice way like to kind of flip the script on a bad race. There's always one, something good in every race that you get to be proud of. And I would say even finishing a quote unquote bad race, like let's say you just don't feel good and you're pushing through and you're getting it done. That is a huge win because it is the harder decision to keep running when it doesn't feel good, right? And and that's not to say that if anyone DNFs, like that's an easy decision, that's a hard decision too, all on its own. But there is something about really getting into the uncomfortable and staying there and finishing and being really proud of that. So there's always a win around that, but then also taking the things that didn't work and then really leaning into fixing that and seeing and, and trying out different things to see what works for you. And that's going to be a really great way to set you up for future races too. So there's always a silver lining to everything. And I'm also a big believer that, yes, the bad races do make you stronger as an athlete, as a human, as a runner, as well as the, like, quote, unquote, bad training runs that come with it in the cycle. 
Yes. I mean, I like second all of that. I mean, I've learned some really hard and sometimes like took me too long to realize these lessons about maybe specifically like hydration um, and electrolytes and fueling and pacing. Right. And this kind of, you know, sometimes, um, you know, one of the things that we go through as runners is you will go through what are called the ebbs and flows of your fitness. Right. You will be going through life and there will be times for almost everybody that your fitness needs to or will go through a period where it's kind of declining, right? Because of there are a million reasons. You took time off. You're super stressed right now. Like you just decided to prioritize other things. And so it's really tempting when you come back to the sport to kind of get a little like, I'll just return to right exactly where I was. Um, and I went through this, you know, going through and when I took some time off because I was really burned out a couple of years ago because I wasn't fueling in races and I was running everything, you know, fasted. And um, when I came back, I was like, oh, I'll just jump right back into where I was before. And I forgot it was like a local like 10K or something. And I went out at the pace I probably could have run six months ago and just like died, like just totally like crashed and burned. Like it wasn't even close. Like it wasn't, I don't even think that was my 5k pace at the time. Um, but yeah, to have that, to kind of realize like, oh, this is my fault. <laughs> like, you know, one of the scariest things I think it is about being a runner, even if you're working with a coach is that at the end of the day, it's you versus you, baby. Like you yeah. are the only one responsible for the things that you're doing. And yes, like there yeah. are things that can conspire against you and conditions and, you know, life happens and all this stuff. But like, you know, that was on me. Like nobody made me go out that fast. My ego told me, just see, just do it. Like, I bet you could run that fast. Um, and so, you know, we talk about this, this, you know, having these big dreams and goals and believing in yourself and being really self-confident, we always we always have to temper that with not allowing ourselves to get overconfident or let our ego do the driving in these situations. Um, and that's really hard. That's really hard. And I think that it's something that a lot of, you know, even elites who will race and then write kind of about how the race went for them on in their race recaps, you know, there are plenty of their experiences saying like, I really wanted to be in this kind of shape, but simply it wasn't my day, right? Um, and that happens, I think, to to everybody at some point. Yeah, absolutely. It is common. And if it if you're in that place or if you're in that that season in life, like that's okay too. And I think it's like understanding that you're there. It's like the self awareness. The athlete has to be self aware of of that's like what they're doing and that's what they're projecting and then wanting to change because I do know athletes who like to go out and just push as hard as they can and blow up. I do know people who like to do that. And like, that's, I don't, is it anybody like to do that? I don't know. No, thank like, you. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I've blown up way too many times to ever want to do it again. And it does not feel good. And I love, you know, the racing when it does feel good and the pace feels good and you're able to like create something really magical in the process. And, um, and that's always like the place I go to and know that you can do that and you can do it without your ego, like just drop into your heart and realize that like you can create a lot of really great things when you take your ego out and like, yeah, maybe starting a little bit slower does take a, a hit to the ego, but finishing fast and like, it's, it's not about passing people, but it does feel good in a sense of like, you are accomplishing something really great in the last 5k as you are, you know, passing people and just running strong and finishing well. And I feel like that's 
such a nice thing as a coach and an athlete to see like um, someone finishing strong like that and knowing that they felt really good in that process too. So really, um, it's a good place to be. I think it's tough. Um, I, I just, this popped into my head and I think it makes sense to me. <clears throat> but I think most most people, if you've run for, you know, a while and maybe you've had a couple races, even running for less than a year, it doesn't really matter. Everybody's had at least one race that seemed to come out of the blue and was amazing. Like maybe you did start too fast, but you hung on and you ran like a crazy PR and you're like, where did that come from? And so when we have this experience of this unicorn race of like, oh my God, like what in a million, that was an amazing, like start to finish, holy crap. Like, I think then we expect all of our races to be that way instead of instead of being honest and saying that was likely an outlier. It doesn't mean we weren't fit, right? That was that, and think of that as like a, a glimpse of your true potential, right? But realistically, most races that we participate in, if you go out too fast, you're gonna blow up. Like you're not gonna be able to hang on, you're gonna blow up. And so I think it's being honest with ourselves to say, if we've had that kind of one in a million race experience, um, that still doesn't give us license to then go treat every run like a sprint from the start. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's like there are some times when you go out for a race and you start out hot and the wheels stay on. Yay! They stayed on. They didn't fall off. You put, hopefully everyone's heard that saying of like the wheels fell off, like, you know, you kind of blew up, your pace slowed down. And yes, those, but that's, it's good to understand that those are unicorn events and they are unicorn races. And like, could they happen again? Absolutely. But it's not going to be this continual cycle of every race is run this way and it's going to feel this way. Racing is very ebb and flowy, right? There's a lot of ebbs and flows and like, you never really know what you're going to get. And, um, you know, I've had athletes go into races, like very confident their fitness is there going after like a sub 90 and it's not even close, right? It just wasn't the day. And I think it's understanding that like just with training, training isn't linear, racing isn't linear either. And it's just knowing that you can really set yourself up for success with all the tools that you have with the racing tool belt. And then knowing after you cross the finish line that you did everything that you could do to really produce a strong race. I want to go through some uh, some troubleshooting of some of the most common race errors that I tend to get messages about and see what your advice is as a coach on these. And of course, like these are very generic, right? So if you're looking at the disclaimer, if you're looking for actual individual advice, contact a coach like me or Sarah. Um, but this will hopefully help you get started and see like what's going on here. Um, so I, I hear this one sometimes. Um, I was trying to run faster, but my legs wouldn't turn over. This is a good one. Um, this happened to me personally. <laughs> if your legs wouldn't turn over, and you're running fast and you're trying to run faster, I would say, did they feel flat or did it feel hard? Flat means like nothing was happening when you were hitting the gas and hard is like, it just felt really hard. Like maybe you got into threshold effort when you were trying to hit marathon pace or something like that, or you probably, yeah, did hit your limit for that day. And that's okay too. And 
Um, and now we know like if that's a 5k or the marathon or a distance in between, like that's kind of your limit for that day and rest recovery, your fitness level will be a little bit higher once you come out of that period. And maybe it's going for it again, um, later down the road. Yeah. That kind of, my legs wouldn't turn over. Like you said, feeling flat, um, if this were, and I, the next kind of question is a little bit different. Um, but like, if you were, if you kind of found, if you were maintaining the pace, but you were trying to run faster and you simply couldn't get your body to respond, that indicates to me that you hit, you hit some sort of limit, right? Um, whether it was a neuromuscular limit on like how fatigued you were, maybe there is some dehydration involved. Maybe you simply like found your limit in that race on that day, just because you want to run faster doesn't necessarily mean you're capable of running faster. I think this is really tough for a lot of runners who go through a race and say, um, I really think I could have run faster. That's a little bit for me, like revisionist history, like you, but you didn't. Right. And I know that's hard for me. Like if I finished a race and think like, I genuinely think I probably could have run a couple seconds per mile faster. I have to be like, but Elizabeth, you didn't like in the moment in the race, this is what you genuinely felt that you had to give. And you gave that. So that is your race result. Right. Um, so I, I ask yourself, honestly, like, did you, could you, do you honestly think you could have run faster or were you just hoping that you could? So another similar question, I think this, uh, this happened to almost everybody at some point in their racing career. I kept pushing harder and harder, but my pace kept slowing down. What's happening? Oh, this is so tough. This is so tough. This is a really hard place to be. And I feel like there's a lot of different things maybe going on. Um, I mean, I would say maybe the athlete hit the wall. Um, I feel like in this situation, if you're going harder and harder and your pace keeps slowing down, then you've run out of gas. You've run out of runway. You are done. And that's a really tough place to be. And so what that means is you probably went out maybe a little bit too fast in the first part of the race. And now you're at a point in the race where you just can't produce the same energy. And you're working so much harder to produce the same results and you just can't keep up because the amount of energy it's taking is too high and too much. Elizabeth, what do you think? Yeah, I I often see this situation with runners who when we then dive into their like biometric data from the race, they typically tend to be around a threshold or their maximum heart rate, right? So if you tell me, if you come to me for a race debrief and you say, let's say this is 10K as an example, right? A short, still a longer distance race, but hard, right? Say I kept trying, you know, by mile five, like I, I was p- pushing harder and harder. And my pace kept slowing down and we peek into that, into that heart rate data and you're near your maximum. Like you literally found your limit, right? You cannot run or yeah. maintain your effort or output at your maximum heart rate on that day. So what does this mean? Yeah, it means there was probably some energy mismanagement, right? So, uh, and that could be either pacing, you know, you went out too fast. Maybe if there was fueling that was supposed to be involved, maybe you started depleted, maybe you didn't take a fuel if you were supposed to. Um, but I always, you know, it's one thing, and this is really tough when it comes to racing, it's one thing to feel a certain way in the race, 
But if you have the ability to then go kind of dive into data, if you have it available to you and kind of connect some dots here, because like I said, we really are, it's really easy to go into that revisionist history of like, this is what I think happened. I totally could have run faster. And then your data is like, no, you definitely could not have. Yeah. And that's a super, like, that's a solid point. Like if you are hitting max heart rate and it is a shorter race or even a marathon and you just can't produce that over the term of the race duration like that is that is science like that is um that is proven it's like when you get to i always tell athletes like at the beginning of a race like just to like calm down as much as they can and i like to have them like close their eyes and take a few deep breaths in and out because if you start a race with an elevated heart rate it's not going down like as you progress into the race and it's only going to climb and that's a really scary place to be whether it's a 5k or a marathon like you certainly can't hold pace or do what you want to do with a high heart rate in that sense. So it's a great place to like go into a race and really kind of meditate or calm yourself, take some few, like few deep breaths in and out and close your eyes and, and kind of relive all the good things that happened in the training cycle and why you can race strong. Uh, here's another one. <clears throat> I went out at insert pace here and it felt good why couldn't I hold on to that pace? Yeah, I feel like, I mean, this could be hitting the wall, right? I went out at like, let's say I went out at the pace to run for the marathon distance. Let's say it's a 909 pace. We're on this example for today. And you couldn't hold it for the duration of the 26.2. I would say that probably wasn't your current fitness. There could have been... um there could have been nutrition or hydration issues. There could have been, um, yeah, simply going out too fast at the beginning. Um, you could have been underfueled. You could have um, possibly not felt great that day. And instead of leaning into a different goal for that day, you went out um, trying to hold pace. And that can be a tough place to be. That's that ego talking sometimes. And we'll talk about mm -hmm. making adjustments for course conditions in a second. Um, yeah, so it's, you know, I have a, my second marathon uh, that I completed. My second marathon that I attempted, I dropped out at that. This was a, a spectacular failure of racing strategy in that I didn't have one or that one I had was completely inappropriate. So long story short, started running. I ran a marathon. My first marathon, I ran a 405. And of course, when you get so close to it, you know, you get really greedy. <clears throat> yeah. For me, my greed extended all the way to, I bet I could run a Boston qualifying time in the fall, January to fall. I was like, let's drop 35 minutes off my marathon time. Right. Okay. Aggressive to begin with. Let's just be realistic here. The hubris of inexperience. Um, and I also got a new job that required me to commute. And so I was in the car for an hour and a half a day. And then I lived in Florida and it was really hot and it was summer. Long story short, my weekly volume plummeted. I was still signed up for this fall race. Um, over Labor Day, I flew up to Wisconsin where this race was. It was like 60 degrees and 80%, 90% humidity. And I went in with the goal of running a 330 marathon. <laughs> tough place to be it's like my boston 2021 Elizabeth. oh my god it was it was a two loop course thank god i dropped out of the half but i went out i, I like oh. it was in retrospect i'm like oh my god like what were you even it 
it wasn't even like I went out with a an eight minute pace group. It was just like I was so I was so out of touch with reality that it made like the, like what, what was I even thinking? Um, a lot of lessons there. Yeah, I mean, same same. I'm I'm never going out too fast in the marathon. It's like it's when you have over half like running over half of or the half marathon distance suffering that is a very long time and it stays with you probably forever I also want to I want to ask you about different race distances because one of the things that I've also had an experience of is I have had races in my experience where I genuinely think my fitness was there but it was a fueling or a hydration or sometimes a both issue that caused me to not be able to continue at the pace that I wanted to run or was capable of running. And so when you're looking at a situation like that, you know, obviously for the vast majority of people, we do not need to fuel during a 5k. I, for most of my runners, I say hydration is optional. Hydrate, pouring a cup of water over you at a water stop for cooling actually might be more effective than, than drinking it. But 10k, absolutely the half and for sure the full marathon, those are all situations where we all, not just the pace management, we also need to look at our hydration strategy and our fueling management as part of what allows us to run that pace. Oh yeah, it's huge. It's like almost as important as the training itself because you cannot produce a race without fueling and hydration and especially like having a strategy that works for you so i'm a big believer in in trying this all in training and you get to train your gut and you get to figure out what works for you and i'm at a point in my training where i'm taking gels every three miles so for me that's about every 21 it could be 21 to 28 minutes depending on what i'm running so it's going to look different for everyone but starting somewhere and then progressing into it is your best play as well as proper hydration and i think a lot of times we think oh we can just take water from the water tables um and i don't need electrolytes especially in the longer distances if it's warm if you're sweating a lot you will absolutely need either salt tabs to kind of like balance out the sodium levels in your body so you don't deplete too much because you just simply won't be able to run as fast if you get depleted and if you can carrying a handheld some people really like those hydration vests or the um or the fuel belt but a handheld with some electrolytes in it taking a sip every mile is what i recommend my athletes to do in training and it's a great way to practice and mimic it and if you are planning to take water cups in races like practicing that in training if you can like setting up a table and running past it at goal pace pick up a cup and see how you do because there is a lot of like science and craft to it and, and skill really of of taking water and you'll want to make sure that you're getting enough in because that's going to be the key to success and how many times have we went run through like a water table station and we're like you know most of the water the gatorade's like all over our outfit or our clothes or it's on our shoes or on the ground and it didn't really make our mouth <laughs> didn't hit our mouth and then we're not really getting anything in so um it's an absolute great thing to practice and have a strategy that works for you to set you up for success and also knowing what is allowed on your race course and what's not. That's a big deal too. Is is the race cupless? Can you bring a handheld? Do you have to use um, the cups and the water that the that the race provides and kind of going through all of that, all those details. 
there's nothing more frustrating than thinking that you could have had a really great race had you managed your hydration and or fueling better. You really get to learn a lot about yourself and what you need as an athlete. I love an electrolyte mix that has 1,700 milligrams of sodium when I'm running in the summer because that's what I need. And I know that that's also a lot for most runners. And it's probably too much for most runners. Um, so knowing what you need is kind of the biggest thing. Um, and testing things out and trying things out and getting like inquisitive and creative with what you're doing to really see what's going to work best for you. Yeah, and I don't want people to think like just because somebody else is doing it a certain way doesn't mean that that's the way that you need to do it. You know, when I was doing marathon training long runs in the summer and I live in New England where, you know, it it gets it gets kind of, you know, humid and hot, but not crazy humid and crazy hot. I go out with 3 liters of water because that's what I needed. And sometimes I would finish it all, right? In yeah. like two and a half, three hours. So I would, I would carry a hydration pack with a two liter bladder, maybe even more than three liters. And then two, and I have flasks on the front, two 20 ounce flasks. Like Isla was like a straight up camel, just like, yeah. go, you know, out of these runs. But that's what I need, right? Yeah. So if I then attempt to train in those conditions and end up dehydrated, not only am I sabotaging my own training, but like over time, it's actually can lead to, like real issues. So just because your friend doesn't carry water, they probably should, just because, you know, your training partners don't fuel, they probably should, doesn't mean that that's what you need to do or what you should be doing. Yeah, absolutely. I joke with all my athletes that I'm a very heavy drinker (laughs) and that's on long runs and workouts. And I do, I drink a lot of water and I take in a lot of electrolytes and I actually am a very like I'm a pretty heavy like eater too when I run. Like I take gels all the time, but it does work for me and it's knowing what's going to work best for you and setting yourself up to do that because ultimately I'm a big believer that like if you can the more you can take in, the more your stomach can handle it, the stronger you're going to race. I'm running my strongest yep. right now and I know athletes doing the same. So, um it goes hand in hand. Let's talk finally about adjusting race plans for the conditions, right? So you wake up on race day and it's unseasonably warm, or maybe you knew it was going to be hot the whole time, right? Maybe you decided to run a race in super hot conditions, or it's humid, or you're running into gale force winds, right? So let's talk, let's talk realistically and put our coaching hats on. You got to make some adjustments. Oh my gosh, you have to. These are like... This is my worst nightmare as a coach and as an athlete to see race day and it's like hot and humid or gale force winds. It's like, oh no, this is just going to be, this isn't going to be a fun day, right? Um, So I think ultimately it goes back to the very beginning of training and setting the right expectations, right? We have all of these awesome goals. We sign up for races. We have, you know, things that we want to create in training and we get to race day and the conditions just don't support the same goal anymore and that's something we have to be okay with when we get into it right it's something that you can train really hard for all season long and you get to restate and the weather just doesn't support it so you have to adjust if you don't adjust your body will adjust for you and it's going to happen at some point on the course where you significantly slow down and it could be one of the examples that we talked about earlier of like i went out at x pace maybe it's goal pace right the we originally talked about and I couldn't hold it well that's because we might have had a lot of headwind we might have had heat humidity and 
you know, the hot and humid weather is so taxing on the body. Like ultimately, like your heart rate starts at a higher you know, beats per minute. So like your average heart rate's higher and you can only go so far, right? So if you're starting out at the same pace, you're going to eventually hit the wall at some point and have to back off. Um, and the humidity is a whole nother thing with like sweating and making sure that you're able to like sweat enough and have your body like cool off. And if there's a high humility, humidity it's really hard to be able to do that so you have to shift and pivot i've been here like the houston half this year was really like humid and warm um new york city last year was really hot and humid we've had indie windy right so what do you do you have to slow down you have to pull your pace back and it could be it all kind of depends on like the environment and how the conditions are if it's going to be a very hot and humid or you have these really gale force winds like it could be 10 seconds per mile i would argue let's start out even slower and do something like starting out 30 seconds per mile slower because ultimately it does come down to effort and if you're racing it has to feel a certain effort at the start and if you have these conditions in front of you it's going to be a slower pace of the same effort it would have felt like if these conditions, let's say that these conditions didn't exist, you would have been starting out a lot faster, right? So you have to slow down. I saw so many people over the course of these races that I've talked about that went out at goal pace and then just couldn't hold it, right? So it's knowing you, knowing your body and really pulling back. And for the headwinds too, like the coaching hat, like, it all depends on where the winds are coming from and at what point the headwinds are hitting, right? So for Indy last year, the headwinds were hitting in the second half, which I don't, I don't really know what's worse, having them the front half or the second half. But I did shift the plans in a sense of like asking the athletes to go out at a little bit faster rate at the beginning, which I 99% would never recommend. But knowing that no matter what, in the second half, they were going to slow down. So trying to make up a little bit of time on the front end. And, um, and it, you know, the athletes still had pretty good days, but I know that the last two miles were really tough with the wind. So ultimately, it comes back to slowing down, knowing what effort level, and adjusting as you need to. Because at the end of the day, like if you feel good with a mile or two to go, that's a good place to be. And then you can really just kick it in, start passing people, being competitive with yourself and feeling good at the end. I'll also add, there are some individual, I will say, you know, if you live in a place that's crazy hot and humid and you're, and then you go up to race in an environment that is, oh, let's say, for example, let's say you live in, let's say you live in Louisiana, right? And you train year round and it's really hot and humid. And then you raced, for example, CIM California International Marathon this past year in December was relatively cool, but it was very humid, right? So you might think, oh, like this isn't a problem. Like it's cool. I'll be fine. Discounting the humidity. Now, as somebody who lives and trains in a really hot and humid environment year round, you likely have a higher overall degree of heat acclimation than somebody else coming from conditions where it's not like that year round, but you have to respect the conditions that you're given, right? So when we're talking about ideal racing conditions, we're really talking about like mid to upper forties, no wind overcast and like 40% humid, 50% humidity, right? 
anything that deviates from that technically will have an impact on you. Maybe maybe when you it's so minute you don't even honestly notice all the way up to oh we are making significant deviations from our original race plan because of how extreme these conditions are. Um, and the other thing I'll say, I mean, I'll add, you know, obviously New York last year, Chicago in 2021, mm. which was Terrible. also very warm and humid. I had, I debriefed a number of athletes um, in coaching consults who ran Chicago and wanted to know why their race didn't go the what they'd planned for. And like, it was 80 degrees. They didn't have somebody talking, talking them through that they needed to make adjustments. They weren't educated that they needed to increase their fluids. They weren't educated about increasing their electrolytes, right? Like nobody told them to slow down. So although we might think, you know, like, oh my God, it's, it's 80 degrees out. Of course you need to slow down. You know, that is something that might not be intuitive for a lot of runners. So yes, always important, no matter how badly we want to, if you are confronted with conditions on race day that are, let's call it from less than ideal to legitimately debilitating, right? Make some adjustments. It's always better, always, always, always better in my opinion to be more conservative in the beginning and finish strong than to like wish for something that probably isn't going to happen. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And you really get to lean as in as an athlete to understand the conditions you are training in and where you're racing. And I know a lot of athletes don't really think about that, right? They think of the, the race that they want to run, but they don't actually think about the conditions the race could hold for them, right? Like we both were in Chicago last year and I was very, like, I was well, like I was ready to throw my A goal out the window up until like, you know, the day before the race. I'm like, oh, we have great conditions this year. Amazing. But the whole time I was training, I was aware that there was a very good possibility that Chicago could be warm again. It could be humid. I don't race well in those conditions. I know I have to slow down. I have to take even more in and I'd probably have a really tough day. Um, So it's understanding that too and really knowing what you're getting yourself into. I took a group to Houston this year in January to run the half and the full. And unfortunately, well, typically that race is very like cool. It has great racing weather. It's usually in the high thirties with sun. So a little bit different than like high forties and overcast, but it's cool enough that you can get through the race and you feel pretty darn good. It's good racing conditions. And This year it wasn't, and it was, um, we walked out of the hotel with 60 degrees, 90% humidity, and everyone on the team had feedback from me the day before about pulling back pace, taking more in, and it was still a really tough day. It's a really tough day for athletes to to come to grasp with that and understand that that's part of racing and that is what we sign up to do and things can't be perfect. And if it were perfect, it wouldn't be fun. We wouldn't have the challenge to keep pushing ourselves and keep going and trying new things and, and under, understanding ourselves better. So um, there are some wins to come from it, but it's a tough pill to swallow. I love that. Like if you ran up your perfect race, like what would keep you coming back? Right. The whole point is that we want to see what we can do better, faster, stronger next time. Right. There's always something. I mean, even people who have reached the absolute pinnacle in our sport are still trying to get better. Right. There is no limit. So even if you've run a phenomenal race, you don't turn around and say, "Okay, cool. Like I've done that. I guess I'm going to find something else to do with my life. Now you say, I wonder what I could do next. Oh yeah. And that's like the coolest part, I think, to 
to being a runner and to racing is always like the unknown and you're everyone is capable of so much so much more than we actually think we are and it's going out there and really like leaning in understanding ourselves practicing and getting in tune with what we need to do to get to that potential and reach that potential if that's something we want to do Sarah, thank you so much for joining me with this conversation. I I know we covered a lot of ground and hopefully gave people some good insight and introspection into racing and where they might want to take their racing. Uh, Where can people find you, follow you, and if interested in working with you, learn more about that? Yeah. um, Social media, Instagram and Twitter at Elevate Your Running and at Sarah, S-A-Y-R-A-H, Runs Happy. And my website is elevateyourrunning.com. I also have a podcast that's released every Thursday morning with my co-host Austin Myers. We talk about all things running and how it translates to life and just being a stronger human. So it's a lot of fun. And thank you, Elizabeth, for having me today. It was great to chat about racing lessons. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.